Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Well, we're going to talk about prayer today. In fact, we're going to use that very verse that uh, was sung there. So we're in a definite time of real challenge. Last week, if you didn't get a chance to hear uh, that sermon, I encourage you to do that. that. That was a response that I believe was even a prophetic response given to us by the Lord himself to how to respond to what's going on in, in the world today. And so we're going to continue to hone in there. We're, we're focusing on the Sermon on the Mount here, just for a season. And I like to, I was saying, I was telling somebody, it's time to preach the, let, the red letters, you know. It's, it's time to focus on what Jesus has told us to do and how to go forth as the revolutionaries that we're called to be, to change the world with the light of Christ and the salt of truth. So I'm going to read here. Again, we just, we just heard the song, but I, I want to read it again, and then I want to take it apart, but a couple of verses before the Lord's Prayer. And so here's Jesus speaking. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they like, uh, for they think, excuse me, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the evil one, in this translation. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 7 in companion to this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What you view, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Much of this we've already, we've already preached on, we've talked about in the last several months. But today I want to talk about prayer in general, entitling the message, When You Pray. And so it's interesting that Jesus begins with that assumption, that when we pray. He's like, it's not if you pray, right? It's when we pray. And there are definite times in our lives when prayer becomes much more of an obvious need than other times. But what we have learned, and certainly you've probably learned, and, and hopefully we're all learning, is that we shouldn't wait till crisis to pray. 
We shouldn't do that. We should be storing up treasures. We should be focusing on building the discipline. We should be understanding our constant connection and need for our dear Lord in all things in our life. So I want to look at it, three basic points here this morning and looking at these two sections of Scripture. So I'm not going to give us a certain, an, a, 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 you know, a comprehensive teaching on prayer. Uh, we've, we've, we've seen that before. But I want to give you another perspective, really, in connecting to this revolution series, connecting to what we just talked about last week, to really help us move on. So let's look at our first point here. He talks about where to pray. He talks about the secret place. And he talks about the heart. And that how it's so important that when, when we think of prayer, that that's where it begins. Once again, and I want you to see this pattern over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount which is why it's so important that we approach Jesus' teaching from a revolutionary standpoint, is that he wasn't coming in to kind of say, okay, look, this is how the law works. This is how you should act, and, and, and this is your new marching orders. This is your, your new law, if you will. Even though he did present it somewhat in that, in that fashion, what he really did, which I think is so incredibly powerful, if we get it, is he, he said it's all about the what? The heart. It's all about the heart. And I guess there's other words we can use to kind of expand on that. And one of those words would be motive. What is your motive? What's your heart? And Jesus is saying, look, to the Pharisees, look, you guys have really messed this whole thing up. You have pulled so far away from a personal relationship with your heavenly father that you've created this whole system of legalism that no longer has any, any you know, a semblance of what it was supposed to be and what it was always the father's heart to be. And so Jesus is bringing us back. So he's talking about prayer. He's talking about the heart initially. And he talks about how Look, you guys are praying, and it's almost like he's got everybody gathered together, and he said, look, you've walked by the temple, and you've seen the, uh, the Pharisees, and they're praying, and they're rocking back and forth, and they're, they're going through the motions and saying the same things over and again, and wrote things that are written out and saying it exactly the same way. He's saying, look, I just want you to, 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 to observe that and realize that's, that it's not about the heart anymore. It's all about just trying to go through the motions in feeling like you're checking off the card. And that's important for us. That's important for us to get that. Because when we do, we will unlock the power of prayer in a way that uh, we've probably rarely seen, especially if we're only learning now about prayer. Or we're getting to this point where we're having to rediscover it because of what's going on in our world. So where do we pray? Well, look, the bottom line is it doesn't really matter where we pray. He talks about a prayer closet. And really, that's, I mean, you know, you can have a specific prayer closet. War Room talks about that. And that's, that's no problem, but I think you've got to be careful there and to not necessarily take that literally. The point is, your prayer closet is anywhere you make it. It is anywhere you have determined and set aside. It's where you have walked away from what is going on in your life and take time to pray and to pray specifically and to connect with God and understand that's what you're doing. But what he mentions here early on is that he says, he says, do not be like the hypocrites. 
He says, so don't fall into the, this hypocrisy. And you know, we can slam on that. But I got to tell you, I think the church in, in, in many ways has kind of fallen into that trap. I really believe we have. That we think we can kind of go into and become uh, pharisaical or Pharisee-like by just going through the motions. And only we can discover that and know that, I, that in our hearts, that if, if we're just feeling religious, if we're just feeling like going to church or I've got my, I've got my church on or, or that we, we've, we've, we've done something spiritual and that's kind of, we feel that sense of relief because we've done something spiritual. Jesus is, is coming against that. And he says, don't be like the hypocrite that, you know, you go through all the, do all this, but yet you live your life completely differently. And this is what he says, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. In other words, publicly. And on the street corners to be seen by others. And that's really what the focus is, is to say, I just need people to see I'm doing it. And he says, but I tell you, they received their reward in full. So, might, might not be much reward at all. And he's saying that's, their only reward is what they get from people. And to be honest with you, that's not much. Not in comparison to God. I mean, you might get, oh, that was an awesome prayer, brother. Man, you, you got your these and thous down. You know how to talk to the Father. And I think that's why so many people are intimidated by prayer, is you feel like it's got to be, you got to be good, you know? It's got to be perfect. It's got to sound liturgical. It's got to sound proper. I know a lot of guys suffer with this, you know? We get a guys in small groups and, hey, man, would you, so-and-so, would you lead out in prayer? And it's like, oh, no, I could never do that. What? It's like, it's like talking to your buddy. That's all it really is. It's just talking to God. And so by making it into something that way can produce really kind of a hidden pride but, so you've got two parts. There's fear and there's pride. But J Jesus is going after pride. And pride will destroy the process. When pride is in their heart, we begin to talk to God. It really becomes, the heavens will become brass. And our reward is only what people hear. Not the reward that we can get exponentially from heaven. And, and we'll, we'll find out what that reward is here in just a minute. But, so where to pray? It's in the heart. It starts there. So it's not really so much about the place as it is the purpose, as it is what's going on on the inside. And he talks about that what is done in secret will be rewarded openly. And this is another kingdom upside-down principle that is so amazing. That's the revolutionary aspect of what Jesus came to do. He says, look, let me tell you, when you go in secret and nobody even knows you're praying, because that's the human thing inside us, it's like, I wish somebody knew what I was doing so they could laud me with praise. That is the self. We've got to be honest with ourselves because that's exactly what we want to rise up inside us. We want people to hear us pray. We want people to see us pray. But the truth is Jesus is saying, look, the better thing to do is to do it in secret. When nobody's watching, Nobody's there to laud you with, with praise. Nobody's there to say, wow, that was a great prayer. Or, you know, to even show up at a prayer meeting and, 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 and do all that. He said, no, 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 it, it starts in the heart. And to test your own heart, can you do it secretly and no one even knows you're praying? You know, I think even sometimes Facebook has become our new 
public forum for that pride to rise. So we post a prayer need, and somebody gets on there, oh, brother, I'm praying for you right now. Well, did you? Or were those just words, right? Or did you stop what you were doing right there and go to your secret place and say, Lord, I just lift up so-and-so. They just found out. I mean, they just had a colonoscopy, and they just found out that this is going on, and they're not really sure. They might have cancer. We just ask right now in Jesus' name. I mean, for us to do that, to go to the secret place immediately and exposes the heart. And here's Jesus is just saying, look, everywhere you see the seeds of pride growing in your heart, go get it. Go after it with truth. And, you know, there could be a false humility too, but we won't get into all that. And he goes on and just talks about how many words, again, can constitute an appealing to God. But he goes on to say something very, very powerful, (laughs) very, very theologically powerful and true. He says, check this out. You've heard it a million times, but I want you to think of it again. He says, what your father, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other translations, it says reward you openly. And I like that a little bit better. And you know why? Because it does satisfy somewhat of our need for that desire, you know, to want to prosper in front of other people, for people to see us. And I think in our times that is so critical because people are seeking after the isms. They're, 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 they're hard after the, the utopian concept that if we do have this global concept. I just saw this written the other day that how do we defeat the world's evil? Globalism. And I'm thinking, no. His name is Jesus, and that's the only way evil will ever be defeated ever be defeated. I'm sorry. You don't build a ziggurat. You don't build the Tower of Babel to try to defeat anything on this planet. But that's all it is. It's just man's way again of attempting to bypass God to create something that is technologically brilliant, that is, that is all these wonderful things that man has created and God is... Go, so let me get to the point here. So he says, your father's going to reward you. And when you pray, do not babble, right? But look at verse 8. He says, do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's powerful theology there. And let me show you why. It taught that, that hints to what we call the providence of God. It makes God who God is. See, we've talked about this before, but what is taking place in our culture now is people are making their own gods. Idolatry is back, and it's doing well. I hate to put it that way. We've got a designer religion. We make God out to be who he is. So we go to the Bible. Thank God we've got access to that, at least for now. But we go to the Bible and we pick and choose the, the, the truths that we want. And we go, okay, well, I'll have, well I, don't, I, I really want to, want to be able to do what I want in my morality, so I'll make God that. And then, well, and I'm really, I really hate that part of sinful man, so God's going to be really angry about that. And, and so we put together our own theology. We create our own God, a designer God, and then that's how we live our life. But that's not being true to Scripture, is it, at all? And I just caution you, if you're going down that road, to only take from the Bible what fits your existential belief about what's going on in the world, then you're in trouble. Because what you come away with is not Jesus. (laughs) 
And have you noticed, and as a way of appeal to this whole point, have you noticed that when people say Jesus, they don't always mean the same Jesus you know? There are a lot of religions out there, or let me, I, I actually have to call them cults, right? They're Jesus with a little j. You can say the name, but who is he really until you really get into a discussion? And that's interesting. So here, here Jesus is pointing something up about the Father. i got to get to this, sorry. That the Father knows what you need before you ask. What does that mean in your prayer? I mean, well, how does that affect your prayer life? I'll tell you how it affects mine. It's just like, I mean, it's like going to, <clears throat> getting to know a, a guy. I used to go to this restaurant, and, and, and we would go together and have our staff meeting, and there was a guy there. I forgot his name. I think it was Marvin or something like that. And he always knew what we wanted. We'd walk in, he goes, uh, you want sweet tea? You want that? You want this? And it's just like, man, we love Marvin. Marvin made our day awesome because we didn't have to what? We didn't have to ask. And when we come to God, that's exactly how it is with him. He knows what we need before we ask him. He knows what's going on. He knows our struggles, our battles. He knows what, what you're getting ready to ask him because he knows our heart inside and out more than we'll ever know it. That's important because what does that do? That makes God God. That makes him very big. He's not the, the absent-minded God or the absent-minded, or he's sitting there with a pile of stack of prayers and just saying, look, what do, you, what do you need? I'm really busy here. You know, have you ever taken care of, you know, taken care of the whole world? I mean, they made a movie about that, which is kind of ridiculous, but, but it kind of tapped into something that is somewhat very human, you know? But here God says, I know what you need. Jesus is pointing this out and he's saying, look, so when you come to God, you don't have to babble. You don't have to beg. You don't have to come and just say, well, man, did I forget something? God didn't forget it. Which is why he comes and it's a setting up the Lord's prayer. Okay? Number two, how should we pray? A simple prayer. A simple prayer. And so we heard it in the song, but remember what is in this prayer is so powerful, and I'm not going to get into all that because I've preached this before, and you've heard it. I mean, it's very popular teaching out there. But So he goes on and says, you know, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, who, who, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So he starts off with saying, look, let's establish where God is. The, 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 the prayer is not just, it, it's very significant in what you see is built into this prayer. It starts off with, I recognize your God and I am not. Your name is above every name. It begins with the bending of the knee. My Father, who lives in heaven, establishes where he is. His name is above every name. And then the real clincher is your kingdom come, your will be done. Those are not just words. That's surrender. That's what that is. That is saying, I yield my desires, my will, my hopes, my dreams to you. I am saying, look, you know me better than, than, and you know what I need when I need it. You know what I've been created to be. Are you guys following me on that? If he created you, then he has the intent. He knows what he's, he, what he's put inside you to become if he's sovereign, if he's provident, if he's omniscient, which means he knows all things, then we submit that to that. That is acknowledging God as God. 
pure and simple. Important, critical. Jesus is pointing this out. He said, this is how you should pray. Acknowledge his kingdom and submit to his kingdom and his will for your life. And then he goes on and says, on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is perfect, earth not so much. It's being made that. Of course, it's all going to be burned up and started all over again. <clears throat> so we surrender to his will. And by acknowledging heaven, we acknowledge that it's real. And the earth, I write in my notes here, the earth is a counterfeit. And there might be someone who would challenge me on that, but you know, in, in just how I'm using the words. But I'm, I'm really just saying that to point out the fact that heaven is where it is perfect. Heaven is where it starts. And the more we tap into the reality of heaven, acknowledge it every single day, the more we will live properly, the more we will live with the understanding that we live in a supernatural world. And the more we do that, we walk in the fear of the Lord. We walk in an acknowledgement of his ways. See, we call this a worldview. And, it's, and, and one of the ways you get there regularly is by praying, by doing exactly what Jesus is telling us here. My Father who lives in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is awesome. Your name is the only name. It is the name where everything under the earth, on the earth, and above the earth must submit. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So that part of the, of the verse gets our theology right. And when our theology is right, we pray right. And we live right. So he's doing that, so, so critical, helping us with this, this prayer. So then he goes on to ask, to ask God to provide. Because, and so he doesn't leave that out of the prayer, does he? So we get our theology right, and then he goes right to something very practical. And I love that. Because once again, God's, God is showing us is that he's not unfeeling, that he's not uh, a God who just lives on this supernatural plane and that we as, as his people really don't know how to, how to relate to that. And, and I've heard people tell me that, that God is just so holy and so big, I, pff, I don't even know how to relate to God. He is God, I am not, and I just, you know, I just live my life. That's not ex at all the way God intended it to be. That's why he sent his son Jesus, to take on human form, to become man, so he could live this life in front of us and see it that it's possible. Of course, one of the many reasons. So he goes on and says, give us today our daily bread. He's not unfeeling to our need. And so Jesus is saying, look, God knows what you need, ask him for it. And that's very, very important. Theologically, it's because we acknowledge the fact that it does come from him. You see that? Not just by my abilities, not by your, just by your smarts, not by the sweat of your brow, and may I go on to say, not by any governmental plan. He, there is no government that's my provider. And the moment you begin to think that way, then God is no longer God in your life. Something, someone, some ism is. And you take that ism away, I mean, you know, get on Google or Wikipedia and start studying I mean, what's going on in Venezuela right now ought to be a real wake-up call to our world. Do you know what's going on in Venezuela? You don't? Oh, my goodness. They're starving in the streets. The military has had to come over and take over all the food supplies. Venezuela was being touted back in the uh, early 2000s, right up to 2007, 2008, 2009, had that rascal 
Chavez, who died of cancer after he cursed our nation from the United Nations, stood up there and said, you're Satan. Well, now he's not here anymore. And his nation is crumbling. It's a communist nation. And it's an example to the rest of the world what will happen. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You curse him, I'm sorry, you get what's left over or the God of this world and what it brings. I mean, look, it is an example in front of all of us of what will happen to a nation and will what will happen to us if we keep on the course we're on now. You keep putting your hope in a governmental system, then you will get what it will give, which in some cases will be nothing when it's all gone. Mm. You think I'm getting political? Give us today our daily bread. My supply comes from God and him only. And he says, I will take care of those. I will give the daily bread to those who fear me and walk with me, even when their world, the rest of the world has none. All right, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He goes on, and he just says, look. See, and you notice in different translations, and actually other portions, I think in Luke, it says, forgive us our sins. So why does, uh, here in Matthew, does it say debt? Has that ever thrown you a little bit? Well, you probably understand it. You probably get it. But the whole point is, it's translated debt here properly from the Greek, and I did, did my research on this. It is, debt is what it literally means, okay? But not debt in the sense of monetary debt. When we sit a sin, we are in debt to God. The moment we sin, that sin must be paid for. You following? And who paid for sin? Jesus, with his own blood, didn't he? And so it's interesting that once again, we see a different concept of how God deals with sin. And so Jesus is saying, look, yes, you should connect with what is going on in your life. You should come to God every single moment of your day and, or in your time of prayer to connect with him in regards to where your heart has been. And if there has been sin, that you are able to quickly, in 1 John teaches us that too, that we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive our sin. And in this case, to pay for our sin, which has already been paid for. Really, it's just reminding ourselves that that sin is paid for. The debt has been covered. And then he says also, and forget, uh, also have forgiven our debtors, those who have sinned against us. We'll come back to that. So how should we pray? He gives us a very good, excellent breakdown. He goes on and just talks about, uh, you know, so he talks about daily bread. He talks about forgiving the debts. And he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's very important because that assumes what? We're going to come into temptation almost always on a constant basis. So Jesus is saying, and who knows that better than Jesus himself? who's walking through the communities, he sees the sin of man and the, the constant, uh, of er, on every front, the greed, the immorality, the bitterness. Boy, do we not see that going on in our society right now? Boy, and if you're not seeing it, then I don't know where you've been. But it's there, it's clear, it's wide open. And he's saying, lead us not into temptation. What kind of temptation? Well, I just shared that. To be bitter, to be angry, to be lustful to go and fall into the dissipation of, of, of what this world is. 
to lead us not into the temptation of idolatry, of greed, seeking the, the almighty dollar in the name of freedom, in the name of, well, God really wants to bless me. Well, he does, but not at the expense of him being your God. He talks about, uh, in that leading us not into t- going to the notes here, this is essentially asking God for mercy for the things we must face from day to day. I mean, there are times when we just want to be pulled out of this world, right? Jesus come again, but as he delays, we have to live in this world and we have to face, we have to, I mean, it would be nice if we could all just go to a mountain and get away from it, but that's not what he's called us to do. And so he's asking, he's saying, look, pray to ask God to help you recognize the temptation before it even gets there. Now that's good stuff right there. When you're constantly bringing your life before God in this simple prayer to say, Lord, lead me not into temptation because I got an idea. And there the Holy Spirit's right there to even kind of give us a warning to say, David, there's going to be a test for you today. Are you ready for it? Yes, sir. What do I need to focus on? Wisdom. What do I need to focus on? Resisting the devil and he will flee. What do I need to focus on? There are going to be some angry people around you, or you're going to read in the news that something just happened, and you're going to want to throw into it. Lead me not into temptation. To be proactive in asking God to protect us. And when we do that, it does two things. We're connecting with God to help us have grace for whatever we face. Amen? And then secondly, we've learned to be prayed up and avoid the temptation as we see it coming ahead. So he says, delivers from the evil one. Evil is real, isn't it? It's not just inconvenient. It will certainly destroy your life and those around us if we toy around with evil. So this prayer that he's telling us to pray is inviting God into our lives by asking him to supernaturally go before us and to deliver us from the evil assignments against us. Lord, deliver me from evil. And if you don't know that as a Christian, as a human being, The enemy, as we've already learned, we've talked quite a bit about this. So praying, being proactive. Lord, go before me and destroy every single assignment of the enemy, whether it be through a human being, whether it be against my money, against my finances, against my children, against my wife, against my own mind and body. Right now, Lord, deliver me from the evil one. Amen? Jesus is teaching us how to pray. So that should be something covered. Don't Don't pull back from that. Don't... You know, you see that today that a lot of denominations, a lot of religions, they're pulling aback and, and making Satan out to be just this mythical figure. No, he's alive and he's well and he wants to mess with you. He wants to rob, kill, and destroy. And if we don't be proactive as Jesus taught us to pray here, he brought him up, not me, right? He's the one who brought up the evil one in our prayer. So we should address it. Then at the very end, he talks about forgiveness. And forgiveness is, is, you know, I have a lot of teachings on this in counseling, and i got to tell you. So he, he goes on there in verse 11. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts, how much will your heavenly Father give gifts? Oh, no, I skipped ahead, sorry. Oh, no, okay, verse 14 of, of Matthew 6. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Is forgiveness conditional? 
Is forgiveness, can, I mean, am I only going to get forgiveness if I constantly walk in it? The, I, I, I did a lot of study on this because I, I really, it trapped me a little bit. I got caught up in it. I was like, wait a minute, this, this, this is going against what I think I understand about forgiveness and what Jesus did on the cross. But this is what I came away with. Jesus is warning us, as he did in Matthew 18 later in the story of the unmerciful servant. He says, if you hold on to unforgiveness, it doesn't wipe away our forgiveness. It blocks the grace, and you can write this down in your notes, it blocks the grace of God that will flow into your life as a result of the, of the forgiveness. So if we're not doing, as he told us to pray, forget our debts, even as we forget our debtors, he goes on and to say, look, if you don't forgive others when they sin against you, your sins will not be covered. In other words, you're going to see a lack of grace and joy and the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So people come to me and have over the years to say, I don't understand. Why am I not happy? Why am I angry all the time? Why do I punish and hurt the people in my life? Why, do I, so, why can't I get ahead? Why do I keep getting fired from one job to another? And why, is, why do I feel like God is against me? The first thing I do every single time is say, I take him right there to Matthew 6. And I say, are you forgiving the people in your life? Are you holding on to bitterness in your life? And whether it be your mother and father, or lack thereof, or people that have abused you and taken, or, or you've you picked up somebody else's offense, which is easy to do, isn't it? Somebody tells you their story, and they're like, "Yeah." It was a major part of my life story when my mom left my dad. My dad had a nervous breakdown in front of me at 13 years old, and I saw him take that Civil War sword out of its scabbard out of the wall. I didn't know what he was going to do with that thing. But he drove it into our dining room table about two or three inches down into it. And there it was just flapping in front of me. And he looked me in the eye and he said, I'll never let another woman do that to me again. He got dressed, went back to work, and that was it. But for me as a 13-year-old, I looked at my dad and I said, me too. Because I watched you suffer and I've taken your hurt, your wound, your offense as my own. That can happen. Thankfully, God has healed me of that. Recognized what was taking place, you know, and led my dad to the Lord. And he died last year. And I know his heart was clean, my heart was clean. And he's in heaven. I get a chance to see him again. But I'm telling you, if you're holding on to those things, then prayer is, is a waste of your time. That's pretty hard, isn't it? That's pretty hard for a pastor to say. You're wasting your time praying? If you're holding on forgiveness, it is. It will. So is this relevant to what's going on in the streets today? I mean, does truth get in there? It, well, you better let it in there. We should not take up other people's offenses. Does that mean that there's not something bad going on there? Absolutely. We've been watching the news, and you sit, you want to break your, your computer? And say, what on earth is going on here? But you should pray rather than just say, well, I'm ready to hurt somebody too. I'm taking their offense. Not good, Christian. Not good. Because what will happen is you begin to pray, Lord, I ask you to bless my life. God's going to say, I can't do it. Why? Because you're holding on to offense, and it's like a big old nasty clog in the plumbing of your soul. 
I'm trying to pour grace into your life, which God promises us that as believers, God is going to endlessly, a a flow of abundant water and life into our life. It's going to come. The faucet's always on. Didn't he say that? A spring up a well. Didn't he say that? Well, why am I not experiencing it? Because there's a clog in the drain, in the pipe. And it's usually unforgiveness, or it could be some other things. But Jesus is saying, look, let me tell you, there are areas in God's life that he has a lot of grace and a lot of mercy in us, but when it comes to sin, I'm, I'm sorry, when it comes to unforgiveness, there really isn't much at all. God will not tolerate it. Why? Because we've been forgiven so much. Final point. How should we pray? I'm sorry, I did that one. What to expect when we pray. And, and this is going to be the shortest point. We'll get us out of here. You know what it is? It's good gifts. Because he tells us there in Matthew chapter 7. He says, ask and it's going to be given to you. Isn't this a wonderful prayer? In contrast. Matter of fact, you kind of, you're like, how do these, I mean, you, ch- you go Matthew 5, whoa. Matthew 6, really whoa. Then Matthew 7 is like, oh, this is good. This is, it, it, it begins to open our heart to, you were kind of hard with me, but don't, isn't that what a daddy does sometimes? You know, daddy sits you down and says, you're never going to do that again. Yes, sir. (laughs) And then he looks you in the eye and his eye softens and he says, I love you, son. And it all makes sense. I'm careful to do that with my boys. They're going to get 100% of dad in his wrath. But they're also going to get 100% of dad in his love. And that's your heavenly father too. He's going to tell you when you messed up. You messed up, son. And it was bad. Really? Yeah, really bad. You shouldn't have done that. But I love you, son. And you know what? I'm not giving up on you. As a matter of fact, I foresaw this and sent my only son to gain you. And I'm never going to change that. I hope you believe that. I hope you know it. If you walk in it, you're going to experience some seriously wonderful joy. Good gifts is what God wants. He says, ask and be given, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened. That's about as open of an invitation for prayer as I've ever heard or read. If I ask, he's going to do it. If I seek out wisdom, he's going to give it to me. If I'm knocking on the door for things in my life that I feel resistance regarding, God's going to open it. Absolutely. Our Heavenly Father, let's go back to that verse. He says, for everyone who, and, and to just doubly say, so he gives us that wonderful phrasing there in, in verse 7, then he goes back over it again from another perspective. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. Not the group, the one, the individual. Who seeks, will find, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you? And then he goes and says, look, he appeals to the Father, which I just did a, a few minutes ago. He, he appeals to the Father's heart. If you then know how to, that you're evil, that was one of those little, you know, stop moments where Jesus called everybody evil, and they're just like, hmm. But anyway, yeah. How to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father, who's perfect, is going to give you what? Good gifts. I mean, there's a gift you open up and say, that was nice, and you throw it, you know, in the back of the closet. But these are the gifts that he knows we need. These are good gifts. These are the gifts that absolutely are going to affect our life if we ask him. And once again, forgiveness 
is a key to this. Because he goes on and finishes verse 12. And, and I want to say that, that he, he doesn't make it conditional, but Jesus keeps coming back and saying, look, I want you, pr- I want you guys to pray, but don't, be, don't let it be babbling. Just be specific. Pray theologically. Pray specifically. Don't beg. Just understand that your father knows you and what he's wanting. So, I mean, I know you're, you're tempted to say, well, why even ask? Well, it's because when we ask, we acknowledge the heavenly connection. Matter of fact, prayer changes us more than it does change anything. And then he says, but while you're praying, walk in forgiveness too. So the reason why I'm, I'm sharing this today is because I think that part of the message is as important as anything. I mean, I could do another series on prayer, and, 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 and matter of fact, I've, prayed, I've actually had this title, How to Pray in Everything You Need. That's a great title, isn't it? Because we all have a lot of stuff we need. But I think it's as good for this title, <laughs> for this particular title, and that is How to Keep the Blessings Flowing. So in our times, in these struggles, in this revolutionary period that we're in, we're, we're, fought to, we're taught to fight supernatural battles. We're taught to go in and be spiritual people. We recognize what's going on in the heavenlies. But where we can get snagged, where we can get caught up is one, we can become hypocritical and just go through the motions. And two, we can start getting offended with people and shut down the whole thing. So let me finish with this. Is there somebody in your life that's really bugging you? From your past, from your present, maybe someone you'd expect that's coming in your future? Forgive. Release them. Release them. And remember, to the degree that you release others, the grace will flow into your life. And you're saying, well, David, isn't that a little manipulative? I didn't. I didn't, that's not my idea. This comes from Jesus himself to say, look, let me just remind you, if you want to keep getting blessed, then don't hold on to unforgiveness. Only he uses it even in stronger sense. I mean, he goes even to the extreme to say, if you don't forgive others, I will not forgive you. That's hard. But as a pastor, I'm softening it down for you to just say, if you want God's grace, don't walk in that bitterness. Don't walk in that resentment. Don't give in to that. So, folks, <clears throat> it's time to get into our prayer closets. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Going from that heat to air condition is brutal. <clears throat> My heaven's going to be 72.5 degrees. <laughs> Light wind. <clears throat> Birch trees, water. Well, let's stand up this morning.